Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media. We're at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we'll do our post-game live stream following whatever happens on Saturday. You can also shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who is fueled by just as much coffee as he is hatred, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Equal parts uh, coffee, hatred, and kolaches. Um, no, I uh, I don't care if Texas is 1-13 in 13 on any given year, 1-11, in 11, whatever, as long as that 1 is OU. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with that. I really, really like beating OU. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time. Um, we had a stretch right around the time I was in school and I did a victory lap where um, we won four out of five. And that's a weird stretch. And I got weirdly comfortable and used to winning a lot. I think that was 05 to 2009, somewhere around there. Um, it, let's start that trend. Let's start that tradition again. Gerald, I, I'm ready to hate. I'm ready to give you the bragging rights in your, you know, unfortunately new home adopted state of Oklahoma. I... I I do have coffee in my system and I have hate in my veins and I am ready to, if any poor sooner has the misfortune of listening to this podcast, just watching their tears roll all the way down uh, the red river. So is it a, is it a Kalachi or is it a Klobonski? What a, Klobonoski? Is that, what, is that what they were pronounced? Klobonoski. Yeah. So, all right. So for, for our Czech listeners, um, we're going to go deep in my other podcast, um, Texas Roadside Breakfast Foods today. Um, I, I really get into the d- delineation. Uh, the obvious correct uh, way of pronouncing is is the, the Czech way. But let me say this. I've done a lot of hours of research legitimately on this topic. That word was invented in Texas. Like, you can go to Czechoslovakia and you can ask them for that and it means basically like little sausage and they will say okay we can don't you want to go to our friends over in Vienna they're known for their small sausage because it's not really a term um so kolache even though it is incorrect kolache is is typically a sweet filled pastry because it has become so prevalent in the Texas culture I am arguing that either can be acceptable if you want to wow people you go with the uh, klobonesque so or club is club is Nikki for plural as it were. That's good. That's good. So you, again, your, your breakfast pastry takes, you can send to at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter, or you can bring them, or you can find us on our breakfast food podcasts. We're hot in the morning. So we can, uh, <laughs> we'll keep it moving. Uh, <laughs> Man, there's not going to be a caravan from uh, Austin to Dallas or from uh, Norman to Dallas this year because, well, fairgrounds closed, Kyle. They're actually not even doing the drive-through tours this year, but that does not mean that the game ain't happening at the Cotton Bowl, number 22, Texas, taking on, this is a weird thing to say, unranked Oklahoma heading into this game. OU coming off back-to-back losses looked not so great. Texas coming off of, well, one near loss and one actual loss. So uh, both teams limping into the Cotton Bowl. Uh, but you know what? When it's a when it's a rivalry game, when it's this game in particular, records don't matter. It's all about who hates who the most, and we'll find that out on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know if there's a more embarrassing thing to be unranked uh, than to be unranked in a season when not every team is playing. I mean, come on, guys. Really, you're, you're, you know, you're like 40, 50 teams that you're not even competing against right now because uh, they've played zero games. Admittedly, I, I don't know that OU has really played one whole game either. Woo-hoo. Um, but, you know, I, I just find it funny, Gerald, that we spend as much time talking about um, breakfast foods and not, I mean, the low-hanging fruit of fried fair foods um, that, that we could have done here because I did see a couple people on Instagram post the drive-through um, 
kind of setup that they have. And it looks pretty incredible. Like someone just comes to your car and has a tray of whatever fried item um, already ready for you. If, if you're in the Dallas area, check it out. I don't know that during the game that is going to be the, the case, but uh, during the week buildup, you can, you can get in there. So um, check it out, not on Saturday, but get the, get the experience, maybe uh, hex a little bit of, of OU if you get in there. Uh, and get a chance to do so. Absolutely. So they actually added additional weekends to like the end of the drive through uh, fair situation because they weren't doing it for this weekend just to minimize the number of people in and out of that place, fair. which is a smart decision. But since there aren't going to be corny dogs on the menu, let's talk about what's actually on the menu, which is some football. And we've got to start with the OU offense, which – in spite of being the number eight offense in the country, really hasn't looked like OU. Uh, they're averaging 513 yards per game over three games, and and they're they're lower than they've normally been um, because they normally hang out in like the top three ish most years each and every year. So seeing them outside of the top again, it's the Big 12, so you're going to see a lot of offense, but like. This OU offense is just not – the numbers are deceptive is the way I'll say it. They just haven't looked like they are your last year's OU. I was going to say your grandfather's OU. But, like, OU from any year that we can remember in recent history. Well, and, and they are clearly buoyed by a, a Missouri State team that's that's not particularly good. They followed up a, you know, 48-point loss to Missouri by losing to uh, Central Arkansas a couple weeks later. Um, they actually ironically play Central Arkansas again next week so um maybe they'll get this is missouri state i'm talking about here their chance at redemption but not not a very good even fcs um team so i think they're buoyed by a 600 yard performance that came very very easy a team that utep would hang you know 40 points on uh in their opening game and that's the only win that ou has had so it is tough to get um probably an honest metric in three games when one of them is that uh i'd say you know, to be genuine in these past two weeks, maybe they've looked like a, a top 30 offense in the country, but not much higher than that. Um, and, and the weirdest thing, like like you kind of mentioned that, is, is the court, freshman quarterback Spencer Rattler, right? Um, you're just not used to seeing a quarterback in Lincoln Riley's system that isn't, you know, a senior savvy person who has an elite skill or at times multiple elite skills. Um, even like I said, Jalen hurts was elite as a running quarterback. There should things to be, you know, desired for OU fans, I believe for his ball security and sometimes his precision passing. But, um, it's weird. Spencer Rattler is talented. There's no doubt about that, but he's a freshman and it's, it's clear. And this is the first time we've really seen, you know, this, 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 Lamborghini of an offense that Lincoln Riley has crafted with with a you know a, a four cylinder uh, engine under the hood it just doesn't run right. It's tough to call Spencer Rattler like a like a four cylinder because like you could tell the kid has flashes where he looks incredible, but like you see you see stuff that would fly in Arizona high school football that won't get it done in the Big 12 where he'll where he'll force a ball into a tight spot where he'll make a bad decision on a throw and you know he's got he's got a he's thrown four interceptions already and all four of those came in the last two games where it was three against Kansas State Kansas State will make you pay and then he threw a late one against Iowa State to kind of really I mean he, it's just not a great look for him but even early in the in the game against Iowa State and Kansas State like he just he looked like he's still trying to figure out how to play at the collegiate level and and um you know we we've said we'll believe that OU has a quarterback transition when we've seen it well I think we've seen it now granted we could com- be telling a completely different story on our Tuesday podcast but as it stands right now Rattler's got a learning curve and he hasn't quite risen to the occasion look like a like a rattlesnake um, and sorry, I've been watching New Girl. I just I just pronounced that like Schmidt would uh, a rattlesnake. Um, they're more dangerous when they're babies. They don't know how to control that venom. I'm I, Spencer Rattler could hang 480 yards against the Longhorns. He's talented enough to do it. I, I'm not at all doubting that. But of his four interceptions, two have been game-ending interceptions where the demons picked it off and that was the end of the game. Like that's tough, right? That's a lot of pressure for for a kid making his first uh his first starts even if you've been in the limelight and been a name and a, and a hot 
prospect and recruit for, for years, right? Um, it's still a lot. And it's a lot of pressure to be handed the keys to that Lamborghini. I, I joke when I say he's a four-cylinder, but truly a, a Heisman crowning offense and, and, you know, kind of the un, unrivaled, unequivocal, uh, considered best offensive mind in, in college, maybe all of football in Lincoln Riley, it, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And speaking of pressure, what we've seen is that Spencer Rattler doesn't like it. He does not like guys in his face. He, you come to OU because you imagine Bill Beatenbaugh in in a long line of successful offensive lines like to keep your quarterback shirt clean. They're pretty good at it, um, and, and and they have struggled a bit in in keeping hands out of his face and 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 guys off of him when he's dropping back to throw. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think we've talked about it in weeks past, but there seems to be a pretty obvious game plan here for Texas. It's just a matter of, can they capitalize on this thing? And we can talk more about that. I just, when you talk about Rattler, I don't know that you can separate the two. I mean, OU is quarterback universal. Like there's, there's no two ways around it. And so seeing OU with quarterback struggles, again, I I did not believe it was going to happen going into the season. And so uh, Spencer Rattler, again, has all the physical tools. There's a reason why he was the number one quarterback in the country, a top, uh, a top, like 11, and he's, I think he's like top 250 all time uh, at, on 247's rankings. Like, there's a reason. There's a reason, but I think he hasn't been able to play consistently. And I think you've seen that bear itself out ex- uh, elsewhere. And I think the biggest reason, and Kyle, well, we're going to jump down a little bit, but OU's offensive line has not been what it has been in the past. OU, without yeah. a doubt, has had probably the best offensive line in the conference for several years running. And due to you know some attrition and, and all those types of things, um, it's kind of been a struggle point for OU this year. And I think that's a big reason why Rattler's having to do a lot of rollouts. Rattler's having to leave the pocket. He's having to make some plays on the run and show off all of those arm angles and wrist throws he can make when quarterbacks in years past didn't have to. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, right? I think if you if you were to rank the kind of uh, offensive lines coming into this year, um, you know, we had a chance to preview all of the teams. We thought Texas had a chance to be towards the top end of that. I think OU, everyone just assumed might be um, because you're returning a guy in Creed Humphrey who's been, you know, a, a, a basically a pillar in that offensive line for years and a lot of talent, their left tackle um, was supposed to be kind of a, a strength, but they, they have not... They've not looked great. They have not looked like the the unit that, like I said, their offensive line coach is kind of you know touted as one of the best in the country, and rightfully so. Um, but you know, it, it is it has not been, um, it's not been any one thing. It's kind of been everything, right? They've given up pressure in the passing game, and you can you can we'll talk about the running back situation, but the running game I think has as much to do with the running back or if not more to the offensive line, they have not been able to get anything going. And that's why Spencer Rattler's numbers look okay. Um, but he's having to do it all for that offense. They really have a relatively anemic uh, running game. Again, especially considered that Lincoln Riley gets all the credit for his quarterbacks, but he loves having a, a, an offense that touches being balanced. That's something that he and your share is that the more balanced you are, the more dangerous each of your attacks can be. OU is the is the king of the RPO, right? Like OU has has feasted on the run pass option, and when your offensive line can't create a consistent run threat for you, can't create consistent running room for your running backs, that those will happen. And again, it's hitting OU uh, all over the offense. OU has not looked like themselves characteristically, and I think again we credit a lot that to credit that a lot to the offensive line. But we can also credit it to their top two running backs deciding to dip before this season mm-hmm. happened, which is a massive hit. And so now freshman Seth McGowan is, is left holding the offensive bag for OU. And it, it's it's it hasn't been a, a strength for them thus far. The running back room at, at OU is a series of guys that, you know, sometimes you take Adrian Peterson out of that mix. Obviously, he's, he's a, a legendary talent. Um, but, like, since then, it's been a bunch of guys who maybe they have a couple years in the NFL, have a cup of tea. Uh, but they've just been guys who can they can roll out for any given year, who can put up 1,000 yards, who can beat you. Just really good college running backs again and again and again. Um, and, and, again, like it is kind of fun after watching – Texas go through one of their worst decades and OU go through one of their, you know, better decades in recent memory. Um, 
it, where they've this has been another thing where they haven't really had to worry about. They've had tough injury luck at running back. They've had season-ending injuries for good guys. They've just always had a next man up mentality, and for the first time in in what seems like a long time, uh, that well appears to be you know dry for the moment. I'm never going to imagine that they they don't replenish it. Um, but that's what makes the season ripe for the taking. Texas can still go 11 and one if they start a, a, a 10 or nine game win streak here uh, with, with OU. So um, why not? Why not us? Why not take advantage of what, you know, appears to be still a good, let's not at all undersell that still a good OU team, but an OU team that is not the, the ferocious monster that they have been for probably six or seven or eight consecutive years. And this, I think, why the TCU game is still so frustrating to me is because for the first time in forever, like, the Big 12 feels like it's pretty open. Where OSU is good, but they're they're starting a young quarterback as well. Uh, Iowa State, up and down, I think is the best way to describe them. Again, OU coming off a loss to Iowa State, but... It's, it's Iowa State, and so you always expect them to have a letdown. Uh, it, and there's just there's this OU is not the OU, especially offensively, because OU gets it done offensively. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you've got your leading receiver through three games has 174 yards, so, like, he's averaging 60 and change, right? He's averaging 65 and change uh, through three games. Like, that's not – that's not going to get it done from, from an OU standpoint. And, you know, Lincoln Riley is perusing the transfer portal for a quarterback that somebody else has already developed. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think it, it's this offense has really uh, taken a hit. And, and they I don't want to say they look vulnerable, but with the way the Texas defense improved, if they can show another week of improvement, I never like the matchup, but I feel less awful than I normally do about what the defense is going to face against OU. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's the, what, you know, the, the money is how do those things line up, right? How do, how do we understand what Texas defense, which we've, we have a small sample size. We don't truly know exactly what they are, or what they want to be under Chris S. We have an idea. Um, we'd like to see a little bit more, you know, execution of some of those things in this game and those going forward. But you know, we have a little bit of an idea and we have a little bit of an idea what OU's offense is. Um, do you see any areas either of concern or areas of potential success thinking of it from a Texas standpoint, as we just talked about uh, a, a receiver group that has not been CD Lamask, a, a quarterback that's been at least a shade under, you know, Heisman caliber that we're expecting a running room uh, that, isn't you know just as is consistent and deadly as they've been in the past and an offensive line that is young i think and will be better in the future but has this year um that is something of a transition year for for many of them or or you know just an imperfect unit what what do you look at gerald and see as a you know a focal point for chris ash and the defensive twofold is can they generate pressure against an ou line that's not as good as it has been in the past can Joseph Osai get to the quarterback? Can Keandre Coburn wreak havoc, you know, right at the line of scrimmage or a, a yard and a half past it? Uh, can they can they create um, situations where Spencer Rattler has to throw on the run, which is really where he's made a lot of his mistakes uh, in the last couple of weeks? And so I think that for me is one question. And then what does the line again? What does the linebacking group look like? Uh, because when you're when you're playing against the RPO, you're trying to defend the RPO. Uh, your linebackers become really, really um, integral. And so, what is what is that group going to look like? You know, with Dele out, Jawan Mitchell thankfully is not injured. He's just coming back from a from a you know a, a targeting penalty that we can again we talked about it on Tuesday. Um, yeah. But like that to me is going to be the question. Like, can can a linebacker group? Of Demarvin Overshone, Jawan Mitchell, Court Court Jaquis, like can that can that group create containment? Create, um, you know, not even because RPOs are RPOs and they're designed to be you know three four yards a, a play until you crack one off. But can they just keep the ball carrier in front of them and and keep OU from doing what they've killed Texas with in the past, which is yards after the catch? Yep. That's it. That's I think that's to me that's that's the big one, right? Is is they had a pretty good. I mean, I'll say this: they had a, a revolutionary improvement from one week to the next. I'm not saying they were perfect and missed zero tackles, but the 
40 some odd tackles missed against Tech that basically even allowed that to be a close game um, versus what they did against TCU. Again, even in a loss, they did not have that glaring weakness. Um, and actually, we'll, we'll talk a little about the OU defense, but something that they struggled with against Iowa State. Missed tackles are going to be a huge key to this game for both for both teams, right? And, and you think back, there there was a you know a, a meme of of uh, you know CD Lamb uh, surrounded by five. Uh, or maybe even six Texans and and um, Chris Adamora from the Tech game with like eight blockers in front of him and said only one of these scored a touchdown and the answer was not Chris Adamora unfortunately with the caravans we saw against Texas Tech but it was C.D. Lamb with six Longhorns surrounding him and him at a, a full standing stop uh, and he ends up breaking two tackles and shaking two more and then outrunning the rest and and just like. The way that you beat Lincoln Riley in an OU team, like you said, is you don't give up that home run. You don't let them. You don't beat yourself. You, you, you They're going to get some yards on you. They're going to get some points on you. They're going to do some things, right? You cannot help them in that effort. You cannot aid a freshman quarterback by, you know, uh, missing a tackle on a, on a 10-yard, uh, you know, skinny post that turns into a 60-yard one. And all of a sudden, he's feeling, you know, six feet tall and for Kyler Murray, five feet tall, uh, and bulletproof, you know, and, uh, and so the missed tackles to me is a huge part. Um, basically I'm going to be watching a ton of our linebackers. I'm going to be watching over to see if he can a make the tackles, not overplay, um, but be, be uh, a difference maker as well. Let's use that speed to create something. And then of course, I mean, that defensive line pressure, Joseph Osai, Go be a national conversation player of the week. Three sacks in a Red River rivalry game gets you noticed on Sundays. You know, uh, another strip sack, which you had one and, and, and you've had sniffed four of them, uh, gets you talked about on on the on the Saturday shows. You know, um, Keandre Coburn, you showed you're a monster in the middle last week with your 11 tackles multiple uh, for loss. You have always been a legend because you, you know, you have made OU fans hate you since you were a recruit. Um, you big, beautiful, giant man. Uh, go do it. You know, now's the time you get to play that team you hate. You get to, you get to, you get to go smack them around a little. Creed Humphrey, who has literally been, you know, the way that ESPN once described Matt Barkley as being made of granite when they were just uh, falling over themselves to praise him, which is always stuck in my mind. I feel like Creed Humphrey has gotten the lineman version of that. Like we have just fawned, and he's very, very good. He's incredible center of gravity. But people just fawned over this kid for feels like fifteen years. Snacks, go drive him 11 yards in the backfield a couple times, and all of a sudden they're talking about a first-round draft pick for Keandre Coburn, right? You're, you're playing a guy who, who gets you drafted. Like, there's so many players who have a chance to shape the narrative of the rest of the season, shape their narrative at the next level. To I mean, this is one of those big games, and I think everyone knows that. I think any of our listeners, I certainly don't think any of our players, coaching staff, it's not lost on anyone. Jay Bulware knows this is a big game. Every player who's or played at Texas for, for years past knows this is a big game. Every coach who's coached here in years past knows this is a big game. The coaches who just got here, they knew about this game before they were associated with Texas or OU because everyone in the country knows that this is a big game. So here's a chance to change your entire season trajectory, to really chart it, to change your individual trajectory. This this can fix a lot. This can make legends out of players who maybe only do it once in one big game, but people will talk about you for 40 years if you do it in this one. Yeah, this is why you come to Texas, is to play OU, and I think the defense has an opportunity to set and create a new narrative for itself on Saturday against the Sooners. So when the Texas offense takes the field against the OU defense, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting look. Um I think what the biggest news item coming out of the week is that on on Monday at his press conference, Lincoln Riley told told reporters that uh, kind of their one big draftable prospect on the defensive side Ronnie Perkins who is serving a suspension for um let's just go and say it smoking reefer uh will not play <laughs> on saturday at least uh that was the last update we got he did travel with them to ames and was rocking the 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 sweatpants the joggers and the the jersey uh people there's a lot of speculation but looks like he's going to be sitting out for another week which really hampers the ou pass rush he was a guy who was all up in sam ellinger's grill a year ago uh one of the big reasons why ou i think came away with 7432 sacks in that matchup but i think the the story for ou is just how abysmal that defense 
has been and and it's been abysmal by OU standard which is which is crazy to think about because OU has always been the team it's like hey you may score 40 on us but we're going to score 60 on you and so the the defense has been bad by OU standards and that's been the question going into this game is like will they figure it out or is this the game where Sam Ellinger and company get it back on track yeah i mean like yes pressure is is huge and i think coming into this season, right? When you look at the most dangerous edge rushers in the conference, right? I think Texas had a lot of hype because of Osai and everything. I think West Virginia obviously um, was a was a, a dangerous one. When you're ranking the units, oh, you didn't really scare a ton of people. They're somewhere in the middle this year based on what they've lost in the past. I think Nick Benito, um, kind of the, the the freshman was, or excuse me, the redshirt sophomore, but playing for the first time, um, was the, the big talk of what could he be. Um, and Ronnie Perkins is the, is, is the other name, right? So if they can't pair for another week the two of them um, as their two edge rushers, then I think that, that bodes well. I think whatever happens, Herb Hand goes into this week and says, that can never happen what happened last year. Right, uh, a a combination of twist stunts run ad nauseum does not mean nine sacks. You just don't, or whatever it was. It was maybe double digits. It was a lot of stinking sacks. Um, it, it, they just flat got beat last year and 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 beat badly. And you have to imagine that that wounded Herb Hand, a guy who's had, you know, came in with such highs, had some recruiting things where you know maybe it's fans' perspective has cooled a little. And that OU game really, you know, despite anything else, probably is the, the, the biggest thing from his actual coaching perspective that looms over his his time at Texas. So, uh, again, a chance to fix something, to change a narrative, to to you know, switch it up uh, a bit here. Um, you know, a, a against Iowa State, they they were okay. You know, they, they did get six hurries, but only one sack, right? So we're talking about a Texas team only had one sack and it has to be better. I'm sure OU fans and Alex Grinch, a man who likes to get after a quarterback and bring pressure, uh, they all feel the same, that, that it has to be better for OU. So they are looking at this game in the very same way and saying, let's change the narrative. We're unranked. They're going to be mad. They're going to be angry. Let's get the heck after Sam Ellinger and not let him beat us because they know Sam wants a rebound game. There's a lot of teams coming into this game or a lot of players on both teams looking to to write a different story coming out of it. This is presumably, potentially, going to be the last time that Sam Ellinger and, and Tom Herman trot into uh, the Cotton Bowl together. Now Sam could come back next year. That's that's completely up to him. But, it, it, but you know, this, again, the presumption is this is the last ride for Sam. And I, I think more than any game on the, the, ca- the schedule, this is the one he wants. Uh, this is the one he circles, and especially with an opportunity to put the nail in OU's coffin, like how, like putting putting that golden hat on, regardless of the status of no fans in the stadium, right? Being able to put the put the hat on and put the nail in OU's coffin with a win would be a huge win for Sam Ellinger, and and it would change a lot of the narrative I think around him and where Tom Herman's at right now, and I think he's got an opportunity to put it all together on Saturday, and part of that is because. Texas has a distinct size advantage over <laughs> the Oklahoma secondary. OU uh, trots out guys that are about our height, Kyle, and none of you have seen Kyle and I in person. We're not the tallest guys in the world. Oh, whoa, 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 Gerald. I am six foot on my driver's license. I am six foot uh, by tape measure. Like, if you want to call me with no shoes, 5'11 and, and, and 11 twelfths, I'm going to fight you. I'm six foot. You might might not be the tallest guy, but it, me, I'd be the tallest guy in OU's backfield. Fair. Second tallest. I think uh, Trey Norwood might be six two, but that's – he's the oh my gosh, come third on. string safety tallest guy in the secondary. So uh, tallest listed starter is 5'11", uh, free safety Pat Fields, which means that in real life he's probably 5'10", but that's a whole other conversation about 5'11 doesn't <laughs> actually exist in real life or – in football, but um, that's an advantage for Texas. And I think you put it really succinctly in our notes, Kyle, like throw it to the big guys, like throw it to the yeah. big guys and let them put bookie Hiles in timeout. Like let them put him <laughs> in the chair in the corner with the hat on and be like, Hey, little boy, just sit there. Boo Radley, bookie, bookie Radley Hiles. There's, there's, there's like few players who I just like beating more than him. Like I just, I, I, every time we play him, I would like to see him lose. I don't know what it was about the like hype behind him. There's many players who are overhyped, of course, but I just like 
watching him be the the weak link in a, in a defense that has a couple of them. Um, obviously, what we're talking about here is, is a shorter secondary. We saw it in, in two games, but especially in an Iowa State game. And we talked about Iowa State having maybe the best, you know, one of the best tight end cores in the country. Um, but just picking, basically just picking on him and, and, and some of the other smaller backs with bigger dudes. And, and hey, guys, you know who has probably the biggest receiving unit in the Big 12? Uh, that's the Texas Longhorns. Like, we... I talked a lot about how much I like Jared Wiley and, and by inverse, how much I would like to not see Cade Brewer on the field and see Jared Wiley on the field, getting 90% of the snaps that, that Cade has gotten. Um, but Wiley's six, seven. And I like that. And I like that he had a, he converted a third and really long on a tight end dig um, because he's looking tall. real fluid. <laughs> yeah. By being tall and looking really fluid with his hips for a guy who played quarterback, you know, up until last year, he's, he's learning both like the receiving part of it and the blocking part of it. And he's, he's getting better every game at both, but let's throw a lot to Jared widely uh, in the slot matched up with that guy. Let's throw a lot to Malcolm Epps who, who has, has been a guy who has again, been learning a position and been left a little bit to be desired in some of the development, but had a touchdown against TCU again, because he's big and exploited that area over the middle and was sure handed when he needed. He's been in times, not always, but let's give him the shot. You know, let's give him the shot, uh, there, you know, we, we have a Brendan Eagles who, you know, we talk about the, the, the speed size, but it's six, four, two is just basically a really fast tight end, um, who, who should be absolutely, uh, dominating those guys, you know, I, and, and let's not forget we're sitting there with a six foot seven, 300 pound Sam Cosme, who does have a touchdown reception in his career too. So I'm just saying any big guy you got, baby, let's get him out there. And to back up to why you like beating Bookie Radley Hiles, there was a song by Yasin Bey, formerly most deaf called quiet dog bite hard. He's the opposite of that. <laughs> it's a loud dog cannot bite in the slightest bit. And so I think that's why it feels uh, really good to beat that guy. But Texas, Texas has an advantage there. And if Texas doesn't come out of the gate and run the same play to Josh Moore that they did against UTEP to open the game, you're doing it wrong. Like put your big, tall, fluid receiver coming across the middle of the field on a break. Sam throws it with anticipation. And he just, again, catches it over a significantly out sized and outclassed defensive back. Like that's the, that's the way Texas finds success. And you know, Mike Yersich has a history against, against OU and, and, and again, OSU has struggled to beat OU, but Mike Yersich is not a, a new guy to this, this matchup. Uh, he's not seen it from this perspective, but I think that also could potentially be advantageous because well, he's seen this defense before. Granted, it's Alex. It's an Alex Grinch defense versus a Mike Stoops defense. But I'll be really honest with you, it's looking basically just like Mike Stoops is still there because they suck just as bad. Can't fire Mike Stoops again. Get better at playing football. But I think that's like that to me is the advantage that um, this could be the year more than more than anywhere where the Texas offense matches up better than the OU offense. And, and let me just go back and really hammer my point. Joshua Moore, only 6'1", which is very, you know, is not small. It's very big. Here are a few guys who are at least 6'1", also on that depth chart. Jordan Whittington is 6'1". I didn't actually realize that, but is is 6'1", as well. Marcus Washington is 6'2". Schooler is 6'2". Avante Woodard is 6'2". I mean, we have a bunch of guys. Like, I just listed a lot of options. You can put... Cade Brewer back in there if you want. I mean, we have a lot of players who can just simply match up well. I'm not saying, look, there's two types of coaches. There's 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 coaches who run their system and they're always going to run it. And Phil Jackson will always run the tri- triangle offense, and he needs the best players to run the triangle offense. Mike Leach will 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 beat the reigning national champions in LSU and then lose the next week to Arkansas for their first SEC win in I think 38 years. Um, that happens. There's coaches who will not deviate from their system. And then there's really, really elite coaches who know how to take advantage of matchups. And those are the coaches who I respect more, right? Like good for you. If you have a system and you run it well and you, and you, and you beat it in and you never deviate, this might be a week where our offense looks a little different. And what we do is we, we run what we run well, but we also, like you said, if it's not once every four downs hammering the, the, the weaknesses until you make them, change and say, well, we can't have that guy anymore. Let's put some, oh, now they're doing this, right? Let them change up and then beat them doing that, but but force them to force their hand. Go in and exploit it. If it's there, exploit it. Now, 
you know Lincoln Riley's going to do that. We talked about it against our defense. He's going to RPO the heck out of our linebackers. He's going to look for weaknesses, try to exploit them. Let's see if Mike Yurcich and Tom Herman can A, game plan, B, adjust, and C, absolutely exploit the weaknesses and the and the the strengths, right? The matchups where not just it's bad for OU and it's a weakness for them, but truly this size advantage we've, we've kind of jokingly just gone on and on about. But, I mean, that's how we recruited. That's how we built this wide receiver room. That's the image that we wanted. Speed for sure, but we also wanted size. Tark Black, 6'3". We have size all over the depth chart in our receiver room. We should, if there's ever a week, and there should be multiple weeks, but if there's ever a week that we need to see that come to fruition and, and, and there should be no reason that it doesn't, then it's this week. Press the advantage. Put them in timeout. <laughs> do it all. And, and again, it, it'd be, it, it'll be inexcusable, I think, on Saturday. Uh, and I'm totally fine. I'm not an established the run guy, especially in a situation where your passing game has such a massive, massive, massive advantage over Oklahoma. So, Kyle, it's time. It's time to put our not money where our microphones are. And it's time for Potsdamas. As an update, Kyle has a commanding four-point lead. He leads three to negative one based upon the new rules that we rolled out a week ago. The rules are forever changing. Who knows? Maybe for the Big 12 championship game, if Texas is in it, we give bonus points. Who knows? By that point, it may be out of reach. (laughs) Who knows? We'll find out then. But Kyle, you've got the option. You can do two. You can do one. What's your Potsdamas for this week? You know, Gerald, I want to keep it interesting. I want to give you a big comeback chance here. But also, you know, like... I'm not trying to go into prevent defense, but you know you got the lead. Just, just you know, slow it down a little. So I, I'm going to go with the with the Navy principle that was drilled into me. Sometimes I forget it, but maybe you've heard of this: the Kiss principle. Keep it simple, stupid. K I S S. So I'm being simple here. I'm only giving one, and I'm going one that I feel like is such a surefire Kyle Carpenter lock of the week. Put your money on it. Can't be wrong. We talked about Sam Ellinger. The last two weeks has thrown interceptions. We talked about Spencer Rattler. The last two games, he's thrown game-ending interceptions. I'm saying that Sam was something to prove and Spencer Rattler with something that he has to learn about being in this big game. There is a keep-it-simple-stupid lock of the week. Spencer Rattler has more turnovers personally accounted for than Sam Ellinger. I think that's simple. Uh, I, I'd love it if it's if it's one or two or three to zero and Sam turns over none. But even if, if we do have some, I think the number will be higher. Spencer Rattler accounting for more turnovers, interceptions, fumbles otherwise than our own dear Sam Boy. All right. I can allow it. I, I mean, I have to allow it because it's your uh, it's your Padre <laughs> So I'm going to take the opportunity, Kyle, to try to uh, to try to make up some ground here, because uh, if you miss and I come up with two, that closes the gap pretty Pretty significantly. I don't think you're going Carpe to. Carpe diem. But, uh, so my first Podstradamus pick is I think Texas will have a touchdown pass of 50 yards or longer. Ooh. I think Texas will have one touchdown pass of 50 yards or longer. I think there's going to be one quick strike at some point, uh, and that's, that's going to set the tone for Texas offensively. I think defensively, I think Texas comes away with two sacks. I think Texas comes away with two sacks on Saturday. I've been I've been riding that I've been riding that train all year, and I think it's going to happen finally on Saturday. I like it. So OU has two sacks against FC, uh, about Division One teams all season. Texas has three. So these aren't sack master teams, but both of these defenses want it. Boy, golly! So I um, Joseph Osai like flirting it. so hard with these. Oh, it's sacks. it's, it's going to happen. It's a perfect pick. It burns you, I think, week one. You you went the sack route. Week two, it burned me. Uh, excuse me. Uh, it burned you maybe week two and me week three. Either way, the, the past few weeks, you did it two weeks ago. I predicted it last week that we'd have this. And now now you're going back to the well. And I appreciate it, Gerald, because persistence pays off. And, and you're right. Logic would tell every person who's ever watched football that they should be getting to the quarterback with the talent that they have and with the amount of times that they've been close. Um, so, I, I mean, I hope for Texas' sake that you are 1,000% right on that one. All right, so, uh, Gerald, let's put a slight pin in the OU hate, the OU bashing. Let's look internally um, at the burn orange lenses. Let's take a look 
at the NFL players. We don't need necessarily need to do analyses. This is obviously a more college football po- uh, focused podcast, but it's a good chance to take a deep dive into the the next level where all Longhorns uh, hope to eventually play. We had quite a few in action. I don't know that we had a week this week that was like we have twelve different players making you know ESPN level contributions, but we had some players uh, get out there. And I think you have to start off my pick for Longhorn uh, NFL Longhorn of the week is Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks led the Cardinals with 12 tackles uh, this week, including three and a half tackles for loss. Hicks, uh, due to a couple consecutive really good games, currently sits at 12th in the league in tackles. He, uh, again, continues to be a fantastic story of a player just getting it all together uh, at the NFL level, probably even more, uh, or definitely more than, than the college level. So um, fantastic for him. We'll hit the one of our big hitters right at the Ravens. We have three Longhorns there. Devin DuVernay, last week we didn't mention it but when he had his kick return that was the NFL's first kick return for a touchdown of the season so I was kind of hoping this week again as a Ravens fan that he would get more involved in the offense he kept his his ratio he has had one and exactly one catch in every game this week however this week he didn't have any returns they're scared to kick to him um, but uh, had zero kick returns as well so was uh, a little less involved Tucker of course was perfect Sean Elliott had three tackles Gerald this one I was excited about signed back to the team for the Colts wide receiver a guy. We like bounced around done. All right for himself. Marcus Johnson, one catch 27 yards. You excited to see Marcus Johnson back in the league, make a place. Always, always good to see some burnt orange in the NFL. Uh, 27 yard average. If he can just make that about four catches with that. I mean, that's a classic Colts stat line. T Y Hilton has destroyed uh, fantasy teams many years, uh, for that. Cause he may get one of them a week or he may get 10 and still average 30 yards. So I like it. Uh, Alex Okafor on the chiefs, two tackles, uh, Brendan Jones, Gerald, one tackle for your dolphins. What Gerald, give us a quick, uh, less than 30 second analysis of the dolphins this year. I'm a fan. So they're not good at football. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Holton Hill on the Vikings, three tackles this week, none for Chris Boyd. Uh, Malcolm Brown, SEUC's finest stand up. Uh, Shirts of Blue, uh, the Universal City Independent School District, of course. Uh, Gerald and I reign from. Malcolm Brown, leading rusher for the Rams. Nine carries for 37 yards, but still the leading rusher. Also, second leader in the clubhouse in receptions for those same Rams. Five catches for 19 yards. But I'm saying he's he's contributing as much as an anemic offense did. Somehow, in a win, they had like 200 yards, but still won. Um, so good for them. Uh, New England Patriots in a loss this week. Adrian Phillips did have two tackles. Um, Boy, Ridge. I was excited to see this. Saw on Ridgeway for the Philadelphia Eagles getting his first sack of the year. And then, of course, uh, the Tennessee Titans were postponed due to COVID. So uh, no stats for Vaccaro, uh, Foreman, and Co. But we will end where we always like to talk about our NFL horns, Seahawks. So, Quandre the Giant, three tackles. Puna Ford uh, does Puna things. Michael Dixon, two punts, average 46. Absolutely terrible for him. Uh, seven to eight yards under what he needs to be doing now. It was a was a fine day. Um, what would you think of Puna, Gerald? I always love to hear – or excuse me, Gerald, what did you think of the defensive tackle? What's his name? Puna! Um, I wanted to set you up. No, he – I mean – he does what he does. He hit a lot of his contribution, and we said this when he was playing in Burn Orange, a lot of his contribution doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Like, he doesn't – he clogs up the middle. He, he creates or kind of takes up running room and forces the offense to do some uh, interesting things. I think the Seahawks game might finally force the Dolphins to play Tua Tagovailoa, but that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> but, again, I – they're they're not they we they've been trying to find a replacement for Dan Marino since I was twelve years old so like yeah. it's really not been a great run for them I get it so Jared we're gonna leave it there the Bernard's lens there's probably some more we can dig into we'll just keep it in NFL this week and we will uh we will go ahead and move it on into our final segment of the week every week the Godzilla Tron what are you watching on your screen giant screen at home Mr. Goodridge so not a ton of watching as of late baby's been sleeping weird so haven't had a ton of time as soon as he goes to sleep it's like eh, I might turn in myself as well but uh, I did on Friday night I uh, checked out the new Star Wars video game Star Wars Squadrons you're playing 
um, X-Wings and TIE Fighters and all that fun stuff. I am, I like playing video games, but I'm not good at them generally. I like, I enjoy playing. Uh, so it was a good time. Uh, and then, uh, Dresden Files is a book that I have been, a uh, book series that I've been in on for quite a while. It's like an urban fantasy thing. Well, book 17 just dropped. And so <laughs> I am, uh, I'm, I'm actually an audiobook guy. So while I mow the lawn, you know, uh, Saturday afternoon while I clean the house, I listen to the audiobook. So far, so good. Pretty action packed. I'm a good time have you read all 16 uh again i have two kids so when i clean the house i listen to all of those books are these average sized books or short books because that's a lot of books in one series i mean good for you but is i need to know more they're, they are they are your typical size and again they're all audio wow. books i can't sit down and yeah. read adhd is a crazy thing um i'm a yeah. very slow reader because of it but like again i put it on while it's not something that i have to like sit down and analyze it's it's wizards in chicago so like i gotcha. while i'm washing dishes while i'm you know doing work around the house while i'm changing the oil on the car it's just it's it's like dumb like i can turn my brain off while doing these other things so you said wizards in chicago folks at home i i want you to know i've known gerald for for years for years since he was you know young couldn't even drive maybe he just got in his car um gerald has always been cool like whatever group he's in he's somehow managed to always be cool and you hear him say wizards uh, it's my 17th book about wizards in chicago Gerald is very cool, and if you meet him in person, you will love him. It The stats don't necessarily read out that way. It's one of those things. It's like, I don't know. You know, this guy's definitely a nerd. But no, Gerald is is the coolest guy you will meet. I had to bust his, his balls a little there. It's all about owning it, Kyle. Just be comfortable with who Fair you enough. are, and you'll always be cool. Fair enough. So uh, I will say this. I, I, uh, I, I watched a movie this week, and, and you're going to love uh, me swooping in here about three years late to rave about a movie. I'm sure you and Raymond talked about it on your other podcast uh, at some point years ago. Um, but I finally watched Logan Lucky. Um, my wife and I had gone on a, on a Sunday night bike ride, and uh, we we're just going to kind of you know get something before bed. And it's like, do you go back to the New Girl Well, which has been great. We're very close to the end, um, you know. But it's kind of just a nice slow burning comedy or you know let's let's watch something so we went movie route and i don't know how we we got to it had been in a list um but we finally said you know what we've been meaning to catch this for a while and we watched logan lucky so there's your building fantastic movie readers if you like me listeners uh have been putting this off for years i didn't really know the premise i knew that i loved the marvel movie logan um that came out somewhat around the same time uh and, and i knew that i'd heard you and raymond i think both say you liked it at least i knew raymond very much liked this um movie and i knew there was something about driving and then i thought no i'm thinking of baby driver but now i get it um it's so good sometimes movies can just be fun and it's a Steven Soderbergh, like, fun heist film. Like, again, every one of his movies features um, kind of an unlikely premise of, like, some weird, you know, shouldn't still be happening in, in the, the year it's made uh, system of transporting, moving, or storing large sums of money, um, if you think of the Oceans series. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, they, they actually jokingly call, because it's set in the West Virginia and North Carolina Hillbillyville, um, they called it Ocean 7-Eleven, which uh, in, in movie joke, which I thought was brilliant. But it was basically just all of these like amazing actors and, and I say actors, I mean, obviously um, both male or female um, actors, uh, but uh, just this cast that was fantastic all the way from you know Channing Tatum putting in one of my favorite uh, performances he's done Adam Driver Daniel Craig like anything he does that's not Bond knives out or otherwise is just like is fun I mean it's great like it's just this like great cast for everyone Seth MacFarlane is very funny and in this weird role that I didn't for the first few minutes realize was him Hillary Swank comes in late and is 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 as great as you'd expect Katie Holmes uh Riley Keough it's just it's 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 a bunch of good actors um, cameo from Dwight Yoakam, just like doing fun stuff in a fun setting with a fun story. And it's exactly that doesn't have to be the craziest thing you've ever seen. Never seen this before in filmmaking, just fun. Interesting. Keeps you on the edge of your seat. Couple twists. Well-written, well-acted, well done. Like I, I, I would watch a dozen movies exactly like that just cause it's fun. And it's, it's not every movie has to be tough to get through. Yeah, and I will say this. I think the best thing that happened to Channing Tatum was him becoming friends with Jonah Hill when they did 21 Jump Street. Like, when <laughs> Channing Tatum went from, like, teen movie heartthrob to, like, 
I'm actually kind of funny. Like that yeah. to me was the big, cause like Channing Tatum's comedies are way better than Channing Tatum's like dramatic roles. And cool. I'm absolutely, I love seeing Channing Tatum be funny, like in owning just like the, the perception of like him being this big, dumb jock doofus, like him kind of owning that and, and, making it funny is, is one of my favorite things I've seen in the last, I guess, what, 10 years. Sure. No, I love it. So one other thing, if we're going to talk about just pure fun, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you. So my wife watches most of the real housewife shows. Um, I don't typically, I'm not typically able to stomach them. I will watch some Bravo TV occasionally with her as, as a, a sign of my devotion and love to her. But, Top chef is um, on Bravo. This, don't you diss it. Oh, Top chef's great. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I should, I should put some caveats here. Um, but so I, I did watch Sunday's um, the episode that came out, Real Housewives of Potomac, which um, that one of the main combatants uh, was the wife of former Washington Redskins tackle Chris Samuels. I don't know if everyone was aware of that. So there's your sports tie-in. Um, and there's like a cat fight that happens, and they recap it, and the editing, and the like shouting, and the like drama, and the like. It's so terrible. It is Greek drama and tragedy, like just squeezed and wrung through filters to be like synthesized to the most dopamine triggering, like hit of, uh, you know, to the senses. I'm not recommending that everyone who listens to this podcast will also love the Real Housewives of Potomac. But if you are looking for something utterly ridiculous and you're going to journey into the Real Housewives world, I'll say this. I've seen her watch other ones. Nothing's caught my attention and kept me watching like the cat fighting of the Real Housewives of Potomac. So there's a little sleeper pick (laughs) from Kyle. Probably didn't think you'd ever get that. She probably won't believe me that I said it. Don't tell her because I, I, you know, I act like I hate it. But, uh, but yeah, there's my number two. When you said Real Housewives of the Potomac, I didn't know what to expect. I was like, is this some sort of like weird like people pretending to be like Eliza Hamilton and Martha Washington kind of situation? Like, <laughs> I don't know what to expect when you say that. And I think it actually being Real Housewives is the most surprising outcome of that because I was expecting something completely, completely different. But on that note, that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Real Potomac of, of uh, Real of Potomac Stands fans. Uh, no, that's actually my wife has the podcast. That's just what I heard where she talks about pop culture things occasionally um, there. But you can follow me, myself, at Kyle Carpenter on the Twitter. Uh, you know, why don't you also go on Instagram and follow uh, this beautiful wife I keep referencing has launched a new company. Uh, Dipped by Drew is the Instagram. You can you can buy uh, also her press on art pieces. I call them that. They are nails. Um, uh, there as well as all links follow. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodridge. You can catch me on a couple of other podcasts this week. Uh, I am on the Cribs and a Cream Machine podcast with our uh, SB Nation brothers over there previewing the Texas OU game, not the OU Texas game. Tom Herman, get it right. Batman just got pushed back on Tuesday, and I'm like, what is going on with my life? Uh, so you can catch us there lamenting what's happening, the fact that we don't get to go to movie theaters anymore. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. If you want to be part of our post game live stream, we have like 100 people uh, that joined in on saturday for after the tcu game most of them are angry including the two hosts but you can catch us there our facebook page longhorn republic you can always shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again this week and until next time it's 10 25 p.m i know you still sucks <laughs>